Welcome to the 21 News podcast. For everyone joining us, uh, Dr. Ben Newman, a leading virologist with uh, Texas A&M and a Valley native, is uh, our expert today. So we appreciate you. We know we've had you sort of on call since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, where are we at right now? You know, we're coming up on a year, uh, Dr. Newman, which is a year unlike anything we've ever seen. And we're coming up on some pretty staggering numbers. Uh, Where is COVID-19 right now? We're hearing about different variants, but the vaccinations are out. So we should be seeing lower numbers, which we are. It seems like a kind of a double-edged sword. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot there to unpack, right? And these are the questions that everybody's got right now, so I'm glad you are asking them. Um, all right, where do we start? We can start with what's going on with the virus. That's a good place. So the virus has been changing, but it hasn't just been changing recently. It's actually been changing all the way along. So the new variants uh, that we're calling the UK and uh, South African and even Brazil variants These are things that are the three most recent branches of the coronavirus family tree, this uh, particular virus. These are, I believe, the 10th, 11th, and 12th variants that we've seen overall. And the line between these different variants is, I gotta say, kind of arbitrary. It makes sense on a family tree, but all of these are direct descendants from something that would be called a different variant. It's kind of like royal families in the UK, Every once in a while, they just draw a line and say, no, they're they're Windsors from now on. Yeah, (laughs) all that other German stuff is in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, And so these variants aren't even a single thing. I mean, we tend to think of them that way, like a horror movie villain. Sure. But the UK variant um, is anywhere between 26 and I believe 41 mutations different from the original, you know, first one that we have recorded. The South African has a reasonable spread as well. I think it starts at 16 mutations and goes up over 30. And all these different versions are downstream of a particular branch. They're part of the same little group, but they're not exactly the same thing. And we're kind of assuming they have all the same, you know, powers and properties. And that may not be so. It's a big, broad thing like any family. Yeah. Is it a big, broad thing like any family? Is it something that we should be um, aware of? And should it certainly be something to keep in the back of our heads as stronger variants, stronger strains or more uh, contagious strains where we need to be more vigilant with the double masking and such or... So on the one hand, what's a regular person going to do? You know, sit around and worry about variants all day? I, I don't think that does anything good for you. Um, the people that need to be worrying about this are very, very aware and are keeping a good watch on it. So this week, actually about a week and a half, we've had three papers come out that looked at whether the vaccines that we've been giving all the way along are able to stop, uh, give good protection against the new variants. And the general consensus of those three papers is, yeah, it's got about the same uh, immunity um, against all the variants you can find out there right now. They did show that there are some features about the South African variant that make certain antibodies that you already made maybe months ago work a little bit less well. But the important thing here is we're talking about something like 1% out of all your antibodies that are affected. The other 99% work just the same. 
And antibodies are one little wing of your immune system. You've got all these other things. Antibodies are like a, um, they're like a cocktail toothpick at one of these fancy parties that people used to have. They allow a bunch of other cells to come along and pick something off the hors d'oeuvre tray and just gobble them up. Yeah. So there are a lot of ways for antibodies to work without being what they call neutralizing antibodies, which are the ones that everybody is talking about. We tend to focus on these because it's easier to do this test, but these are the antibodies where we would expect to see the most change from a difference in strain because all the neutralizing antibodies hit this little tiny patch right on the tip top of the spike protein. And a couple of the changes are in that area. So yeah, it kind of stands to reason that you should have a little bit of difference. But in an active immune system, in a person who is alive, you don't just have the antibodies that you made a month ago. You've also got the cells that made those antibodies. And there are a couple different ways that those cells can kind of take another stab at it or can sort of rearrange what they have in order to get you maybe a better working antibody. So the picture is going to be less bleak than it would seem if you just followed the idea of uh, neutralizing antibodies not working quite as well. So in general, yeah, the vaccines seem to be okay. And this is something that people are going to need to watch. And the people are definitely watching this, so <laughs> need to be watching it. And eventually, what's probably going to happen is that instead of just getting the original version of the spike protein, which is what you would get in the vaccine, they'll swap in and give you a messenger RNA for a bit of the original and a bit of the South African and a bit of whatever else. These things are still all 99% or more identical to each other. And so, yeah, there'll be a lot of overlapping immunity from one to another. So, yeah, generally, it's good news. Yeah. And and we really should be getting the vaccine oh, uh, to protect us from these, right? Big advocate of that. Can. Yeah. If the vaccine is available to you, which for most people, they're still waiting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we've been looking at ways to uh, get the kids signed up for experimental programs to try to get the vaccine, to get my other family members signed up. Yeah. It's tough at the moment to get a dose, but uh, it is very much the thing that is going to make the situation better. If you have a child or someone that doesn't quite qualify right now, uh, say with neutropenia or something of that sort, that maybe doesn't qualify as a severe medical you know, emergency for them to get that vaccine, can a doctor prescribe it or can you get some access to it? So the vaccine right now is only licensed for people who are 18 and up. Although in some of the phase three trials, they did have a few 16-year-olds in there with parental permission. Doctors do have a certain amount of latitude. And I know that in September, uh, both Moderna and Pfizer, I believe, started um, uh, clinical trials where they tried the vaccine in younger children. I think down to age 12 is the last one that I read, but they will be trying to move that down as they get positive results. So this is not a thing where it may happen right now, but this is a thing that is going to be coming. And uh, yeah, by the look of it, I mean, obviously take your doctor's advice. They have more access to your treatment records and they know you better than some guy on TV or whatever. But um, yeah, generally this looks like it has basically no downside and probably a pretty good upside. That's, that's the way I am viewing it personally. 
How are you seeing Johnson and Johnson, the vaccine that would be a one dose? It seems to me it's pretty evident. Hey, if you can get it all done in one dose, maybe the new, uh, you know, president's promise to get 100 million people vaccinated isn't such a lofty goal. You know, Johnson. Originally, I was a little skeptical because vaccines that look like that one, um, we have the UK, the Chinese and the Russian vaccine are all essentially copies of this Johnson and Johnson one. They work well, but they're like a little bit less uh, effective than the Moderna and Pfizer, uh, something like 5% less to a little bit more than that. So I was watching this thing. And if you look at the paper, they're saying that, yes, this is a one dose vaccine for everybody, but they try out a bunch of different things. High dose, low dose, two doses, one dose, (laughs) one dose, and then a placebo. And what you see is that the more vaccine they give, the stronger the immune response. And if they give multiple doses of the vaccine, you get a stronger immune response as well. So it may be good enough at a single dose. We know that both Moderna and Pfizer actually give some protection after two weeks with a single dose. Mm -hmm. It's just that antibody levels go down over time. And if you start off higher, you got a longer, you know, ski slope or sled hill to go down. That that's all it is. You get to ride for a little longer. We've had viewers ask whether they can start with Moderna and then do a second dose of Pfizer, even though I think the time frame is different for when you're sub once twenty one days, once twenty eight. Can you intermix these vaccines or not yet? If I'm the FDA, I'm going to say we haven't approved them for mixing. If I'm a scientist, I'm going to look at these and say they, Moderna and Pfizer, are as close as you can get to being identical. And so I don't see why there would be any real difference. And I think there would be some benefits in mixing. Now, they are trying mixing experiments over in the UK and I believe some other places as a way to sort of get more vaccine out to more people. I think that's going to give us some concrete results. Um, But I think the other reason to do it is that each of the vaccines or each of the types of vaccine is going to hit a different population of cells and is going to potentially activate a different component of immunity or do it in a different way. And I just think the more ways you can, yeah, do this, the better, you know, spread your eggs out. So they're in lots of baskets, basically. And then, yeah, you got a good chance that some of them make it through. Well, I'm not... uh of your education, but it sounds good to me, uh, to, to get as, as many, you know, like you said, eggs out there as possible so that you develop a huge, broad, a broader immunity, if you will, if that's correct. Thing is all the vaccines actually use an identical gene or protein. They're all going with SARS coronavirus two version number one <laughs> right. style. And so you really are putting in the same thing, but by a slightly different method. With something like the Johnson & Johnson, it's going to be delivered to a population of cells that have a particular receptor on the outside. With Moderna and Pfizer, you just put this stuff in there and any old cell that picks it up can start to make it. But each cell is going to connect with different parts of the immune system. And so that, I think, is where you potentially get more ways to win. Yeah, (laughs) I sound like a lottery advertisement, but that's kind (laughs) of how I see it. Yeah. 
Well, I like your positive attitude for sure. Uh, let me ask you this. You know, we, we've had some speculation that, and I don't know how much truth there is to this, but we've had other doctors on our coronavirus team and, and even, you know, people in the medical field, just generally talking about how there aren't enough health professionals getting vaccinated, that there could be a better percentage of medical professionals that, you know, some have said only 40%, some have said 60%. Is there any truth to the fact that there's just lower numbers of medical professionals getting the vaccine? I think generally higher than the uh, overall population. But yeah, you run into this thing. Medical professionals, scientists are people too. And also dabble in politics and all the other weird stuff that people do that kind of warps our mind and makes us do the strangest things. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, I think no, uh, these are people, they're not immune to any of this. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of a little bit disheartening, I would say, to see somebody's sort of background and professional judgment run up against all these other things that are just like Facebook nonsense and to see the Facebook nonsense win out sometimes. Yeah, I'd rather that didn't happen. But yeah, we're, we're people, we're susceptible to all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's, there's, there's, no, there's no good science behind the idea that we shouldn't vaccinate that I have seen. It looks like something, yeah, like with just a really high, really high upside and mm-hmm. almost no downside. I, I don't see why anybody wouldn't want to. And I think part of this is rolled up in the way that it, the vaccine's coming out. I know there are people in the country who aren't sure about these things and who are not just going to reflexively trust some random scientist. And yeah, I, I get that. <laughs> The thing that could have been done and could still be done is to, instead of just sort of dripping little bits of the vaccine here and there to people, to saturate one particular area, pick a small city or something, and give that to just about everybody uh, in that area. And then what you could see is over time, you could see how many cases they had. And then after the vaccination, you could see that it would probably just, yeah, go away. Mm -hmm. And I think a demonstration like that would go a lot further toward convincing people than anything that I or any other doctor might say. Saturate an area. That sounds like like a plan. Uh, Start working on that. (laughs) Uh, You know, when you said... Uh, medical professionals are just like anybody. They, they say disinformation spreads six times faster than accurate information, which boggles my mind and makes me question life in general. But uh, th- the okay. fact is that this is something that we need to get used to because COVID-19 might be, am I right to say, a vaccine we get like we get the influenza vaccine. Yeah, it depends how widely and how quickly we can vaccinate. If you had syringes ready to go right next to everybody's arm and you could just push them all in at the same time, this would be gone in about a month everywhere around the world. You'd have to watch new babies that they didn't catch it. But even you know, new babies don't run around and have a lot of social interactions. You could probably contain that. And then once you've got that, yeah, the virus has nowhere to go. This is going to bounce around among people. It's not going to hang out in your cat or your dog or your pet bats, (laughs) Batman. Yeah, it's going to be all right. Uh, So this is something we can do. But if we just knock it out in America, then 
people are going to still come in and Americans are still going to go on vacation, to be honest. Yeah. And there's going to be more exposure. So if we do it right, yeah, we can end this thing. And I'm very, very much of the opinion that we ought to end this thing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, let me ask you one. Uh, I, w- I wanted to ask you another question that was brought up about uh, gene research. Re- research, and I'm perhaps correct me if I'm saying it uh, wrong, but that our country isn't perhaps doing enough to work with genes to figure out the variants, uh, as as well as maybe the UK other countries in Europe, and even I'm, I'm hearing some South African countries. Is is that true? All right. All right. So, I'm throwing well, a lot of, yeah, yeah, is yeah. this true question at <laughs> you? Good, but. So I think what we're talking about here is looking at exactly what virus does a person have? Which variants did you catch? Mm-hmm. Right now, the tests that we use work on all the variants equally. And so all you get back is that like, yes, yes, COVID or no COVID. Yeah. Right. Um, but you can do a thing called sequencing on uh, the virus where you just read out every little AC, you know, et cetera, nucleotide. And you can get the exact genetic makeup of this thing and figure out which strain we're talking about. So there are places like Iceland and Australia and New Zealand where they sequence every single case. They're going to read it out Mm because they want to know exactly what people have got. Those places are kicking our tail. Now, Mm -hmm. we have a lot more virus here, but proportionately, we are not doing very well. Yeah, tiny little UK is actually turning in about half of the coronavirus genome sequences in the world right now. And honestly, that's the the word I was looking for (laughs) with the, you know, purchasing power, the expertise, the equipment in the United States, we could be doing a lot more, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. If we were doing the genome sequencing um, more, uh, would it be helpful to the general population here? Yeah. Would we be able to battle it better? We'd be able to understand whether a particular strain does something different, materially different to a person than another strain. This is still a question that is very difficult to answer. And there are people that do their best to try and answer this, but the information is so incomplete that, uh, yeah, we are, it's, it's an educated guess, but it's not much better than that. And we could do much, much better than that. Uh, uh, doctor, anything else that, that you'd like to share regarding COVID-19, the state of affairs right now, or, um, you know, we talked about uh, convalescent plasma and a story that I'm working on for a a different, um, newscast and not the podcast, but you had talked about that being, you know, very, um, suitable for people who have mild symptoms, mild to serious symptoms. And maybe for people listening, this is a good opportunity to say, give blood and give plasma if you can and platelets. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Uh, This is a time when it feels weird. I believe donations are down just because of all the social distancing. Um, But yeah, it is needed for multiple purposes. Yeah. 
Um, I think one thing that we touched on but didn't get on maybe enough is maybe the best aspect about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Mm-hmm. Since they are mostly based in the U.S., they can actually be compelled under the Defense Production Act to produce vaccine, you know, even if it's not at a great profit. Um, whereas other countries, uh, other companies like Pfizer are going to be based over in Germany, and so you have limited ability to uh, exercise this. I think the more American vaccine manufacturers we've got, the better chance that we can sort of squeeze them and get as much of this out right now. And all that means is that if Johnson & Johnson really wants to make a big batch of baby powder, you can say, no, please, more vaccine right now. We'll wait. We'll smell bad, be a little drippy for a while. It'll be okay. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Focus. Focus on the task at Focus, hand. yeah. <laughs> Which, um, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Newman, uh, you know, before I end, I, I'm just kind of interested in knowing how you see COVID-19 um, in the in, in students going back to the classroom. How how's that going to play out? A lot of uh, talk on the national news on NBC last night about you know teachers starting to maybe get into this next phase. I believe this week and then through the beginning of February. Will it be quick enough? for students who might be going back March 1st. There is a lot of COVID-19 out there right now. I'm saying this based uh, partly on some firsthand knowledge and partly on some studies that I've read. But yeah, where there are people who are looking just in general. So some universities you have to give a uh, like a saliva sample or you know have somebody stick that Q-tip up your nose in order to be able to go back to in-person classes. And when they do this, you find several percent of people in most parts of the US are actually positive right now, but do not yet know it. We're still dealing with the fallout from Christmas and New Year, and maybe we're just like one infection beyond that uh, in the cycle. But yeah, there is quite a bit of the virus out there right now, and it is a substantial risk to anybody. I just... As soon as we get more doses, I really think putting those into schools um, and uh, students and teachers, as far as the medical clearance will allow, that is going to be the way to safely go back. And anything else would be going back minus the safely part. Yeah. Mm. Plexiglass is, I mean, it's always been kind of (laughs) silly if you think about it. (laughs) And isn't it good Um, enough, you know, isn't going to be the, the the protections we need permanently to battle this, I would think. What we need permanently is for there to be no circulating uh, SARS-CoV-2. The way we're going to get there is with some combination of, yeah, personal effort and all these annoying things like masks and the vaccine. And if we push both of those pretty hard, yeah, the amount of virus will go down faster if we kind of go slow on both of these things, the amount of virus will go down real slowly. And here again, I would just say the more we can do in the short term to get rid of this virus, the better, because uh, I'm sick of it. And yeah, let's let's go on to something else, shall we? Yeah. Let, let's. Yeah, let's. Thank you, uh, Dr. Newman. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, you did a good job. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Dr. Ben Newman, vir- virologist and Valley native, we appreciate your time. Um, stay safe there in Texas and uh, we'll be talking to you soon. 
Now you too, because if you stay safe, that helps my parents up there stay safe. And yeah, we got to keep everybody safe. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thank you, Doc.